are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Steve Angel. I'm joined on the other end of the line by my good friend, Nick View. How's it going, Nick? It's going great, Steve. Really good. Really, really good. Lots of cool uh, outdoor stuff happening, and uh, we'll be in the fall here before you know it. How are you doing? I'm getting uh, getting excited about our deer season starting up, although it looks like between uh, work trips and and uh, activities with with Bella in college um it's gonna be kind of kind of rare for me to get in the woods during bow season but I might get some afternoons in here and there but uh got got a lot of things going on at least through September uh but kind of expected that um I know you went out I was I did want to talk just a minute before we before we get to our guest you you tried something different with a fly rod last week and look weekend and look like you had an absolute blast oh yeah um so that's it's kind of funny so last year i didn't do any bass fishing um i did trout all season um even when it got hot uh you know i just wait for it to cool down and it was a real bummer for me because i was just like man i don't want to you know i'm not going to go out there and just start killing trout because it's so hot here and you know the river's really low and and clear and you know they scatter so easy this time of, this time of year when it's like that anyway and and it just was kind of a just you know I didn't really have anything else to do with it and I wanted to keep fishing so finally I said you know there was I I've been I've been bluegill and sunfish fishing a few times this year and I really really liked it and I kept thinking you know I really want to get into some bass but I don't have a boat and everybody says you got to you got to have a boat to go bass fishing so and and you know, a lot of that's true because you got to get to some of the some of the spots you need to get to. You really need to. You really need something. Um, so you know, I thought about everything. I thought about you know maybe I can get a kayak. Maybe I can do you know whatever. Uh, but um, I talked to Scott Spray, and uh, I was like, Scott, do you know anywhere I can go bass fishing and just wade? I mean, we got rivers everywhere around here. There's just somewhere I can go. And he he told me about a spot, and um, he even sent me a video showing me where it was and uh, where to fish and everything. And um, I said, fine, I'm going Sunday. And I went out and, and uh, you know, I, of course, you know, being me, I, I got lost in the water. I didn't know what, <laughs> I couldn't find it. He, he kept on saying, look for holes. And I'm like, you got to understand this river I was on was so shallow and so seaweedy that, I mean, I was just, and I'm tall, so I'm just like, this is nothing, man. This is like a, you know, there, there's no water here. I mean, it was up to the, it was up to my, I had my waders on and it was just over the foot of my boot in most places. So I was like, what am I going to catch here? You know, and I keep walking around and I'm thinking I'm, I'm looking for these big dark holes and I probably got 200 yards down river, man. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, Scott, I'm lost on this river. I have no idea where I'm supposed to go. And he's like, well, just look for the holes. I'm like, I, what holes? <laughs> you know? And he's like, and he's like, you know, throw, you got to throw black woolly buggers. You got to throw black woolly buggers. And I'm like, I don't got anything to throw them at. So I, I'm, uh, I'm walking around. And then finally I was walking back and, you know, I, I looked on the, I looked towards the shore and I saw flashes in the water and I was like, that's it right there and the holes were no more than like two feet deep so i'm looking for really deep holes you know and they're only two feet deep so 
I'm sitting there, you know, I haven't been catching anything on buggers, so I'm throwing, I'm throwing like ants and stuff like that, like on the top because they were scattering over everything. And I'm thinking, I'm, I was fishing Adam, so I was screwing up. I was sight fishing. So then I'm like, no, I'm not doing this right. And I, I was actually going to go back. And then I said, you know, I'm going to give this another try. So I tied on, I tied on a black bugger again, and I, I got it on the drift, and. Uh, you know, just looked at the end of my, I just looked at the end of the drift and just looked at my line and waited for my line to straighten up a little bit and started hook setting. And I caught six bass. I mean, nice bass too. There was a couple. And I, and one that I didn't hit the strike on was massive. It would have been, I mean, he hit it and I thought I, I thought I had, it felt like somebody dropped a cinder block on my line and then let go. Um, but I've never, I never had a bass on a fly rod before. And man, what a riot that was! I mean, trout's one. That was your your that was your first with a streamer too. Oh, it was first with a streamer. Yep, that was actually that's actually the first time I've ever really drifted streamers. Um, and I did a little bit of stripping too, but I, it it wasn't the same as it, they they were just kind of mov- I, moving out of the I way. I don't I don't I don't need to hear about you stripping. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, it, it, the thing is, is they got they were they were a little bit skittish, but um, the first one it was awesome. I've never seen anything like it before because I I haven't really been in any big fish yet. And the first one, as soon as I got um, I got I drifted by it, you know, it went flying out of a log and just nailed it. And I could see everything because it was really shallow, you know, and I was only like you know 10, 15, 15 yards away. So, I mean, you could still see stuff happening with my sunglasses. And, man, it was a, I have never caught a bass that big on a fly rod. Um, we jump in and all that, and, and, man, was that a blast. And I got to work on my hook setting and, and just drifting in general. And once I figured it out, man, it was just – if I had figured it out earlier because I had a time frame, I probably would have been out there for another hour, hour and a half, and I probably would have caught um, at least – you know, five, five or six more fish. Um, they were just hitting like crazy. Um, and right around like three o'clock too. It was, it was such a blast. So the nice thing about it is, is I've got an alternate means of summer fishing now on another species. So I don't always, Oh, if I can't trout fish, I'm done, you know? Um, right. And I got to explore another river I never fished before too. So I'm starting to get a little more adventurous, and I'm going to get even more adventurous. And uh, I actually went steelhead fishing with John Buchin too, and but we saw him. We just never nothing connected. I think it's a little early yet, and and it just wasn't happening. But uh, yeah, so it's been exciting to branch out for sure. Well, very cool. Well, I'm 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 looking forward to doing some of that uh, steelhead fishing one of these days myself. I've got invites from everybody up there. Just got to find time to do it the problem is it it kind of coincides with with my deer hunting i know i don't know i'll figure it out one of these days but anyway i'm 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 glad you had a good time it looked like it was a lot of Mm -hmm. fun um so uh yeah i'll be anxious to hear any remaining fishing stories you have before the end of the year but let's uh let's get to our guest so a couple things here um you know, we're we're going to spend a little bit of time tonight talking about Africa. It seems like everybody's going over overseas this year. You know, Tom went to Australia. Um, Rob and and the Blauskis are heading over to Africa, and our guest tonight actually just got back from Africa. 
and I don't think you've had a chance to talk to him that much. I know we were talking today uh, about what we were going to discuss tonight, and I, I think I was I was in the middle of a meeting. I just said, well, um, he he shoots stuff and they die. <laughs> so <laughs> I know that was kind of quick and short, but. Uh, uh, I've known I've known this gentleman for for many years, but we've never actually met, uh, and we're going to have to rectify that soon. Uh, but anyway, I'd like to welcome to the show, Mister Pat Kelly. And Pat, I meant to ask you before I, before we actually started recording. I know you go by Patrick online. I've always called you Pat. Do you have a preference? Um, I don't know that I don't get offended by either. I probably am used <laughs> to going by Pat, um, and but I don't. Patrick seems a little stuffy, I guess, sometimes, but um, either I'll answer to either, I guess, is what the answer is. Pat's fine. I, and I think that may have been what threw Nick off a little bit because I've always just called you Pat. I didn't I actually didn't, had never even heard or seen you called Patrick until uh, we we hooked up on, on Facebook many years ago. But uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, I, didn't, I, I, I just never, never asked you. I registered a little too formally on that when I did, so... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm actually I'm actually glad you did, man, because when I looked up Pat Kelly, there were so many Pat Kellys, and then you oh. and and you you were the only. And I'm like, well, that can't be this guy. He's the manager of a family fair, and this guy is, you know, that I saw you with the uh, with the camo on. I'm like, oh, that's him. And you were yep, like the only. And you were like the only one. So yeah, <laughs> nice. So so interesting story. Um, and Pat, I may have told you this, but you are actually responsible for one of the most um, I, you know, you, you can't call it viral. Nothing I do is viral, <laughs> but, um, one of the, the most liked photos I ever posted on the simply traditional, <laughs> uh, Facebook page. Do you, do you know which one I'm talking about? You, when you were at the shoot and you were talking to me on the phone? <laughs> yeah. So I'm at, uh, this, that was at the Howard Hill classic or the pre-spring era fling. I don't remember which, but we were, we were shooting the course Sunday morning before heading home. And we we had a bunch of people behind us, and and I walked up, and my phone rang, and I answered it, and Bella shot, and it was it was Pat. You and I, I don't even remember what we were talking about now. Neither do I. Uh, but I just pulled up on the target and and shot, <laughs> and it was like five or six people stand around, and I can't remember if it was my wife or somebody that was watching took that picture picture. And uh, anyway, I posted it later, and I ended up, I th- if I remember correctly, it was a 12 ring on the bear when I shot it, but it was about 90% luck. But the picture was me sitting there with the bow at full draw with my head cocked over holding the phone uh, to my ear <laughs> under my shoulder. It was a no, it's, <laughs> crazy. It's a great pick, that's for sure. <laughs> So Pat, you uh, I, and we may talk about a lot of a lot of different uh, critters that that you have hunted and and still hunt. But you just got back from uh, a trip to Africa. Yeah, um, I had been working really hard. Uh, haven't had a lot of time off from work. In fact, I think I had a total of seven days off in two years. Um, so I was about due for to go on a hunting trip, and I saw one come available that. Some friends of mine had hunted with this outfitter before, and I just basically jumped on it, went home and told my wife, and she informed me that she was coming along too. So we we booked it and uh, scheduled it, and we're over there. I guess it was almost two weeks when you include the trip that way and coming back, but um, originally it was just going to be a buffalo hunt, maybe a bush pig if 
things worked out right. But with my wife going on, uh, we just decided to make it a two-part hunt, one part buffalo, and go to a different part of the uh, country for a plains game. So long trip over there. And um, I don't know if you want me to to talk about the well, hunt or so so yes i definitely do i, I was going to ask you now does your does your wife hunt too or was she just no. uh, <laughs> so <laughs> she, that's a great question so my wife hurt her shoulders many years back uh bull riding believe it or not and she can't pull a bow back whether a compound or a recurve so i bought her a crossbow i know that's a dirty word but she can't pull the other ones back and she really doesn't really have that much of a desire to hunt. Um, she's hunted a couple times with myself and a friend, shot a few deer, but she informed me that she wanted to go hunting while she was over there. So we ended up saddling up her crossbow and taking it over there. And she hunted while we were over there with a the crossbow. She was killing some nice stuff while I was hunting buffalo. That's for sure. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see any of those photos you'll have to share some of those with me after after this but uh i did see i did see some of the photos that 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 you had and and i guess pat you know we we had tom on uh after he got back from his australia hunt and he kind of went through um some of the you know the preparation and what to expect kind of things so you know let's let's start there you know from from when you decided you were going to um going to go on this hunt how did you go about uh booking it and then you know what other preparations did you did you have to do to get ready for the hunt sure um there's so my course uh, hopefully is not something that gets repeated by anybody else um uh, so i booked it and it was several months in advance i don't remember exactly how many months i'd have to go back and look we'll say 6 months in advance i basically saw an ad posted um, for a buffalo hunt. They showed some pictures of representative buff that were available. And I just contacted them and sent them a deposit. I think I sent them like maybe $2,000 deposit. And I didn't pay anything at all beyond that until other than my in-country travel uh, until I got completely done with the trip. That was kind of how it was arranged. And the outfitter, and I'm, is it okay to just say the name of the outfitter? Is that a problem? I don't know. No, that's okay. fine with me. Okay, I so, don't have a problem. So it was a gentleman named Lamy who uh, has the company Dare to Bow Hunt. And so I booked with him, and he basically took care of virtually everything, told me when I needed to arrange my flights, um, and then I just had to show up. But the problem is, uh, and I was – hale and hearty going into it um but i i have a whatever small ranch property whatever and we have cows and everything and i actually hurt my my bow arm shoulder working on the ranch so i wasn't shooting my heavy bows thinking i've got plenty of time because i shoot them all the time it's not like i really have to build up to the strength aspect of it um so i wasn't shooting them get get down to just like two months before the hunt, still plenty of time. I'm not worried. I have arrows that are tuned up essentially. And uh, I get bit by a tick. And then I'm like, I didn't miss any work, but it was really laid up for three weeks um, after that tick bite. Really? So, yeah, it, it really kicked my butt. Um, I, you know, a three-week course of doxycycline. I'm starting to feel better. And uh, I figured I'm going to start shooting my bow again. But before that, I go out to do some brush hogging. 
and I have a little tractor mishap, almost put it in a, roll it over, and it's a real long story, but I break a rib, um, broke my left seventh rib, so it was fine shooting bows up to the low to mid-60s, but above that, uh, engaging the accessory muscles, you could really fill it apart and apart, and it was hurting, so I just completely left off, um, so I went into my hunt not having shot my heavy bows for I don't know, four or five months, something like that. And uh, thank God I'd shot them for years and years. Um, but it, it did cause some difficulties, challenges, problems, whatever that I'll get into later, I guess, um, when I talk about the actual way the hunt went. Um, so that was pretty much it. It really wasn't anything special. I did pack three separate bows that I flew over, um, two heavy bows, and then one lighter bow for planes game. I didn't want to risk anything happening to my only one heavy bow on the trip for such for me as for what for me is an important trip. And uh, everything went pretty pretty smooth as far as I mean I I worked all day. I drove to Dallas, uh, DFW, had a little bit of a couple hours wait, flew a little over nine hours to London, seven hour layover then 11 and a half hour flight to Johannesburg and then got my luggage customs and then it was a five hour drive to the ranch so I'd been awake that whole period of time and I was a little tired but there were still some hours of daylight and it was only supposed to be a four four day buffalo hunt so we didn't want to waste any time um so here's one of my tangents just uh that's okay <laughs> no keep going so just so people know that there's two major ways of hunting buffalo, and the most common one is hunting out of a blind or what they call a hide in South Africa. And that's what I opted for on this, even though I really wanted to do a spot and stalk hunt. I figured for my first hunt, I'll do a hunting out of a, a blind, and if I want to in the future and can afford it, I'll go on a spot and stalk hunt. So that's what was arranged. Um, so anyway back to the story i get there and i just unpack my stuff and he's like well we've got a few hours this evening we only have a four-day hunt i'd like to at least get out in the hide see if the buffalo will come in just get you used to being close to them seeing how they move and everything so i hadn't shot my heavy bows in like i said four or five months and i had brought two different bows both good bows the one i'd already hunted with um, shot a water buffalo with I had a lot of confidence in it's a Morrison ILF uh, with a 15 inch riser and carbon foam longbow limbs uh, extra long limbs it's around 80 pounds at my draw which is just under 30 and the other one was a, um, a JC Optimus ILF riser uh, which was a 17 inch riser with long recurve limbs that are Mar uh, they're Morrison Max 1 carbon foam recurve limbs now that's supposed to be 69 at 28 on the short riser, but I was scaling this one at about 73 pounds at 30 inches. You would think that they would be close to each other in performance, but you would be wrong. I don't know the dynamics of why it is, but the longbow is significantly, significantly faster and more, more energetic. Um, I had both arrows, uh, both of my arrows, well, the arrows for both bows tuned identically just because of differences in side plate and whatnot so they both were very well tuned going into it um, and because I hadn't shot my uh, 
heavy bows, I decided to take the one that was a little lighter and draw weight just because I was confident that I could draw and focus and hold. And I thought if I'm at the, the ranch longer, I'll be able to shoot the other one and make sure that I'm okay. But I didn't have a lot of time to make the decision. So I took the slightly less energetic setup. Like I said, still what most people would consider a pretty energetic setup um, and 73 pounds at just about 30 inches. And I took that bow. Um, if it's okay, I'll tell about my arrow setup, if that's okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think a lot of people would love to hear it. Okay. So I had an arrow setup that I was pretty confident would work well because I'd used a similar setup when I was hunting water buffalo in Australia. The only thing I changed around was the insert setup, uh, setup a little bit. Um, they were, Basically, I was using gold tip kinetic 200s, and I had – um, 300 grain tough head broadheads with 125 grain stainless steel broadhead inserts. And then I was using um, uh, an ethics archery insert um, with um, a footer on it. Um, they make them specifically for the tough head. I mean, yeah, for the tough head. But I also bought ones that were specific to the size of the shafts and I tried to use the ones that were specific for the tough heads but I found for my gold tip arrows I had to uh, sand too much down that it was really cumbersome so I didn't end up using the ones that were specific for the tough head even though they're a great system they only have three um, a few sizes and you can end up having to do quite a bit of sanding so I used the ones that were specific to the gold tip kinetic 200s and they fit great they work great I ended up cutting off like 30 grains from them from their max weight and and long story short i ended up having basically footed inserts with tough heads on the tip so i had um let me get make sure if i can get my numbers correct i i had i i think i had around see how 35 I don't know. It was in the upper 500s up front. The total arrow weight was just a little over 950 grains. And it had somewhere roughly 30% forward of center if you're into that. I just wanted to make sure I had as good of an arrow setup as I could. And they were strong and they held up really well throughout the hunt and then the little bit of testing I did after the the kills. So that was my arrows. Um, and I had a good friend of mine named Dave Sissimus uh, in Ohio uh, Jaybird arrows that did the fancy fletching and stuff for me. He's a good friend. And the arrows, like I said, they were very good and uh, they held up very well. I think it's a great setup if you can get arrows like that tuned up and it means that you don't have to ha- always have a shaft in a shaft design. You can still have a strong shaft and get the job done without that. So. And you you mentioned the the heavy bows, and we talked about this just a little bit before we we started recording. But um, so you've you've shot heavy bows for a long time, and it's it's so that when you have a hunt like this come up, you're 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 prepared, you're ready to go. But um, how long have you been shooting bows in that in that seventy pound range or higher, Pat? Um, that's a great question. Um, so. Just in full disclosure, like for me, uh, I started off hunting with a compound when I was a child, and I hunted for 26 or 27 years with a compound before I made the switch to traditional archery, which would have been circa 2007. 
Um, and shortly after I started hunting with traditional bow, I really decided that I wanted to hunt pigs, even though I was in the Northeast. Um, I was part of the first group that had hunted, well, actually a place that you've hunted. Um, and it used to be called, hmm, what was it called? Uh, Hog Heaven. Hog Heaven, right. Ray Hammond was guiding down there. And right. I was uh, in the first group that ever hunted there. I drove all the way down from the Northeast. I did not know that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first traditional group, I should say. And um, so, yeah. And boy, you had a bunch of dumb pigs at that time. They were not educated at all at that first hunt. But in subsequent years, they became a lot more educated. Um, and it would have been so it's your fault it is partially my <laughs> fault absolutely absolutely if i'd have known anything of what i was doing i'd have had a lot more bacon to show for it that's for sure um but anyway so i decided i wanted to hunt pigs and i was only sh at that point i was shooting bows that were in the still perfectly adequate i i remember i shot my first one down there with a river's edge recurve 56 pound uh vortex longbow good bow um, still a good bow, made by Kevin Termott at the time. Um, but I knew that I just wanted to shoot a little bit more. So I would just get a heavier bow and get custom to it. And in my head, I knew I just want to always shoot a bow that I know is going to get the job done. I'm not going to have to worry about it. I'm not going to have to worry if I'm shooting a big three-blade bod head. I didn't want to mess with it. I just wanted to build myself up, which is what I did. So I just periodic, uh, you know, periodically got a heavier bow and worked my way up. And you know, in my head, I was also thinking someday I might get to hunt something big like a buffalo. Not even sure that I was going to be able to do it, but I wanted to put myself in a position where I'd be comfortable and confident that I'd be able to do it. And that's kind of how it happened. And so it probably, I would say, started shooting heavy bows... 2009 to 2010, something along those lines. 2009, probably, I think. And I've been shooting heavy and what I consider light bows ever since then. I probably do most of my hunting for smaller things like whitetail and uh, and sometimes pig hunting, too, with bows that are hmm, low 60s at my draw length. I have a little bit of longer draw length, but I would always continually shoot whether it's practicing or occasionally hunting with um bows that were heavy going up to my howard hill rogue that's probably around 95 at my draw um but always have several on the rack um and i don't know did i answer your question you did okay. you did okay i was just i was just curious because you know it's it's um and like i said we talked about this you know shoot what you want kind of thing but i know you've had your share of you're going to regret that one day and all that stuff and sounds like you've been shooting the heavier stuff about as long as i have um but you shoot them all the time it's not like you 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 shoot start shooting in september and then through hunting season and and come january you put it down you don't shoot anymore no no um, it's it's good exercise and as long as you keep yourself strong i don't think you're likely to do any damage and but i don't do marathon shooting sessions with anything i don't go out and shoot when i first started i did but i don't go out and shoot 300 hours a day with any with any weight for the most right. part so and i think that's probably worse for you honestly using lightweight and shooting 
hundreds of hours a day, that repetitive stress injury is probably more likely than with a heavy bow. That's my opinion. I think it's probably borne out in science as well. But once again, <laughs> I never care what anybody else shoots. That's not my business. Yeah, I, and I'm the same. I'm the same. I'm the, way. I'm I'm the same, same way. way too. And and also with the practice thing, I you know somebody told me early on not to overshoot, and you know I figured you know when you're hunting and stuff, you only shoot one arrow. You know if you're if you're lucky, you're good or whatever <laughs> or both. Um, so why do you need to shoot forty? You know in a session, and uh, I've kind of always done that. Pat, if I could back you up for one second, I had a question about your arrows. And I've always uh-huh. kind of wondered this. When people go to, when, when you go to a trip to Africa, how many did you bring? <laughs> well, I'm usually an overpacker. I, th- I think I did a little bit better uh, this trip. Um, so I still brought a lot of arrows, but the only reason I did was because I brought two different bows. And even though I knew, uh, the answer is I brought six arrows of that, but I also brought six arrows um, that were also gold tips, but they were more tuned for other broadhead setups that I brought along. Um, you don't, honestly, on a buffalo hunt out of a blind, you're probably thinking you're only going to shoot one, maybe two arrows max. But I brought more than that because I wanted to do some test shooting and I never knew if I was going to shoot more than one. So I brought more, but everything's more weight and, you know, more space in your luggage. Um, and that becomes, can become an issue when you're traveling overseas. So that's, that's what I brought. Um, so you brought, you brought, you, a, you brought a dozen then? I brought a dozen heavy arrows. I brought a dozen light arrows for planes game. Oh, gotcha. So, okay. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, oh, I never did talk about the other broadheads. Um, I, I, I can talk about this a little bit later too, but I also brought, um, some cutthroat 190 grain, broadheads which i'd put uh, really good 200 grain broadhead inserts in there so they were not quite the same weight as my tough heads so my tough heads were 425 these were 390 and they both seemed to fly pretty well out of my setups um my go-to was going to be the tough heads but i wanted to have the cutthroats for whether follow shots or testing or whatever i just wanted to make sure i had enough and so i brought some of those as well so I haven't I tried the cutthroat yet. I keep saying I'm going to, but uh, I just got I got more broadheads laying around than I need. Oh yeah, uh, but they're very nice though. By the way, they have a very nice temper to them. Um, I think the tough huds penetrated a little bit better, but they both. I would have confidence using either one with my setups in the future. So. Um. Everybody okay? Yeah. Oh yeah, we're we're okay. okay. We're we're just we're just listening to you, sir. <laughs> okay. Um, well, okay. So I guess we'll go back in time now to the beginning of the hunt where we were hustling out to the blind with no thoughts of having really success that first day. I'm thinking, well, plenty of time, but we'll get out in the bl- in the blind. We got out in the blind, and as a precursor, the my friend that had gone hunting last year had a four-day hunt and didn't get a shot till the last evening of the last day. No shots presented himself. Had buff, but no shots presented himself because they come in as a herd, and especially if a target uh, bull, it may not be that easy to get a shot. So, But for me, I had some luck on my side insofar as the, the bull that I was targeting 
Um, he was the, the dominant bull of the herd up until two or three months before I came on the hunt. And this was just happenstance. And so a new bull had taken over. So my bull was not getting close to him. He was staying on the outskirts, which just made it much more likely to get an open shot, which happened. And I have video <laughs> and the professional hunter that I was with, um, he, he was very surprised when I got it, when I got a shot. In fact, he just kind of like remarked what that's the shot, like just being surprised. And it wasn't long till I released an arrow. And once again, because I can't carry a linear thought to save my life, um, I'll go into shot placement. So the day before or two days, I think it was the day before I left, my outfitter, who has a lot of experience bow hunting with a traditional bow and has a lot of experience with buff, texted me a picture or sent it as a message of a buff with what he said, this is the vitals, the kill zone, and this is where you should aim. I didn't have a chance to get a hold of him to discuss that at all. To me, it looked much more similar to what you see on a white-tailed deer, much further back than I was expecting. So when I got there and I talked to the professional hunter, I'm like, here's the picture I have. Doesn't this seem a little far back to you? He's like, yeah, that seems a little far back. I think we should go a little further forward. So we decided that's what we were going to do. So we're up there in the hide, and the buff come in, and he sees a very distinct white mark on the shoulder. And he said, that's the sweet spot. That's what you want to aim for at the top. And so when the buff turned broadside and then slightly cording away, that's what I focused on. Came to full draw and I was, you know, I was calm. I don't know if I was jet lagged. I wasn't nervous at all. I think it just happened so fast. I didn't really have time to think about it. And you just kind of go into autopilot and I pulled back, anchored, pulled through. And the arrow basically hit exactly where I was aiming. It was only about 18 yards away, so it wasn't exactly a, a difficult shot. Um, and the arrow hit, and it looked to me like I got just under half an arrow penetration on him. And I thought, good, hit right where I wanted to, right where they told me to hit. I know it didn't get, you know, buried to the fletching or anything, but I figured I got at least one lung, and it's where they told me to hit. Um, and the guide said, the professional heart said, good shot, you know. And so, we all, Pat, it, I'm going to interrupt you for just a second, Pat. So you said it uh, looked like it went about halfway, but I heard you say earlier, 30-inch uh, draw. How long were these arrows? Uh, I didn't measure them. Well, the arrows were... Roughly. I, I want to say, well, if you include the length of the broadhead, probably 33 ish yeah so you you got 15 16 inches of penetration mm -hmm. maybe just on maybe just a tear, hair under that but okay. um and i have pictures that i posted online of what it did to the lung um, but in any case um so everybody's basically self-congratulating themselves and the the herd runs off and we're given about 30 minutes and it's getting late and uh because it's winter time over there and the days are a little bit shorter and we get out there, and there's not great blood. And a tra one of their trackers said he saw the herd over here a couple hundred yards away, saw the arrow sticking in it. So we're running out of daylight, and we go over to track the buff, and we track it. And I'm thinking, well, we're going to come across it real soon. And we go a few more hundred yards, and uh, we just can't find the buff. 
and it's starting to get dark, we decide we're going to back out. We're going to come back in the morning and hopefully, and we did find some patches of lung blood, by the way. Um, hopefully it's going to be bedded down, dead, or just really weak. I can get a second arrow in it. Well, that track ended up being nine kilometers. Wow. Uh, wow. Right. So it's actually 9.6 if you want to be technically correct. And we came upon it um, with the tracker in front and the buff stood up and faced us and there was no place to get an arrow in it. It was too dangerous a situation. And the professional hunter and the ranch manager both shot and dropped it. Um, I did, uh, you know, basically they shot it and that was that. Everybody said that it would have been dead either later that day or the next morning, but I can't prove that. So amazingly tough animals um, and I'll get more into that. Um, so after we came upon it and everything, uh, so the bull fell onto the same side the arrow was. And he had still had that arrow. That's how good of a shaft those gold tips are. That whole th The whole time that arrow had lasted, it had been inside him. It hadn't gotten broken off going through all that brush. It did break and kind of telescope into him. Um, it broke it into three parts when he fell on it. Um, but it was very obvious the damage that had been to the, done to the lungs on autopsy. But as he was laying there halfway onto that side, I circled around to the other side, went about, I don't know, 15 yards, we'll say, and decided to do a little bit of testing. I had a couple other broadheads with me. Um, because of his angle, it was almost like you were shooting steeply uphill into him. So I took the first shot and I used one of the cutthroats and it hit the top of his uh, humerus and it just completely shattered that humerus and it penetrated into maybe half of an arrow, maybe just under maybe. Um, the next arrow I shot a tough head, but I aimed, I don't know, five inches higher and it just went through the meat and buried about two thirds into it. But because of the steep angle, uh, you know, it just cut the top of the offside lung because it was just angling so steeply uh, up towards the spine. But I felt like both of those arrows did a pretty good job. And there was no chatter on the blades or anything, even after, you know, having gone through ribs for the tough head and having shattered the femur and going through ribs for the cutthroat. So they both did pretty well, I felt, um, when we did the autopsy on that that bull after we got it out of there, you could see that I'd gone completely through one lung, just tickled the other lung, and uh, pretty macerated. Um, but you have to realize you're using a very narrow broadhead to get good penetration on these things, and the percentage of their lung that you're damaging is much smaller than if you shoot a whitetail or a pig or something smaller. So I think that uh, the fact that I didn't get through both lungs and they're such a big animal I think that that's why he had the resistance to get through, even though the guides were just amazed that he made it as far as he did. So basically, I would say there are three factors that contributed to him going as far as he did. Uh, one would be shot placement. Um, I should have basically, I believe, shot more where the outfitter was telling me, basically about halfway up the body, right on the crease. You don't go through that heavy shoulder muscle. Um, so there's just a lot less resistance in slowing your arrow down. Um, if I had used my heavier bow, I think that would have made a big difference. I believe that I would have gotten at least a portion of that second lung. 
Um, and then I had a little bit of bad luck, if you will. Uh, so I was using single bevel tough heads, obviously, but I didn't center punch a rib. There was no twisting action to split a rib. What happened was the tip of it was just trying to sneak between ribs, even though there's not very much gap. And two of those thick ribs were grabbing the wings of the broadhead, and the broadhead was completely horizontally oriented through bad luck. And any amount of verticality of that would have decreased how much I had to go through and the amount of resistance there was. So there's just a whole lot of factors in play that can't be taken into consideration. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I've read the Ashby studies, albeit many years ago, and I try to do whatever I can to improve my success. But you also have to bear in mind there's limitations to any study that's done. And his studies were not done on 11 to 12-year-old herd bulls, and they were not done on live animals. And there's differences that you know you have to account for. Don't think that no matter what you do, you shoot a 45-pound bow with the proper arrow, that you're necessarily going to have a desirable outcome because it's just not true. And I've seen it not just with me. I've seen it with other people that have hunted buffalo that I've talked to that have had these experiences. Yes, maximize your equipment, but don't think that there's a substitute for horsepower because there's not. So a couple things there, Pat, and maybe I want to make sure I'm understanding. Um, and then if I am understanding correctly, I've got a question. So I know how close, well, I'll come first. For anyone that doesn't know, we're not talking about whitetail ribs here. These, uh, the, these cape, the 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 ribs are pretty substantial, um, and I know what you mean by close together. But did did the did the broadhead actually um, did both blades on your broadhead contact those ribs as it was going through? Absolutely, one blade contacted the rib to the left, one blade contacted the rib to the right, and they were just dragging the whole way through. Yeah. They weren't splitting anything because they weren't this, the broadhead wasn't centered on one rib where it could have any a splitting action. So, do you think um, did that had to have dulled the heads? I would think pretty substantially. Do you think that also played a part in not only, um, you know, less penetration than you would have liked to have seen, but potentially less hemorrhaging uh, just from the fact that those blades weren't as sharp or or no? Uh, You know, I'm sure it had a little bit of effect, but I'll be honest, even after having been in that that bowl for over a day and a half, um, there was a little chatter on the blade to the, like, well, on one of the blades, I'll call it the blade to the right as you're looking at it. Um, the other one didn't have any chatter and was still pretty doggone sharp after all of that. So I'm not sure that the dullness, you got to, those tough heads are, are pretty good steel. Um, and they stay pretty sharp and they were incredibly sharp out of the package as they came to me. So I'm not sure that the dullness impacted. It may have had a little bit, but I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that there's any other shot that would have made it less so um and i think that had it got through the other rib i mean it's all guesswork but i think that it still would have cut pretty well almost no matter how else it went in well and i know i know that you know um tom i don't know how well you know tom or how much you've talked to him but um you know it, it, like you said there's so many variables um 
and I know the situation that that Tom encountered. Uh, I'll not go into it here. If you have not heard that story from Tom, uh, I'll share it with you after after we record. But um, Tom was on here and talked about his his buffalo hunt. I just I you know he said what he wanted to say about his hunt. I want to leave it at that. But I, I do know what took place there. Uh, and the broadhead that was used, um, and less than desirable results. However, because of the situation, I I don't think it would have mattered. Uh, is the, is is the point I'm trying to make? It's just one of those. It's a game of you know centimeters. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. So if you're talking about differences between how much your broadhead is rotated, you know you've got problems. <laughs> you know, right. um, yep. they're a big animal and a and a an old bull, an old bull with hard bosses is, it's by far the toughest thing I've ever shot. Not even close. Um, so, you know, but I don't know. It's a, I think that I'm very happy with the equipment I used. And I think that using a heavier bow in a slightly different slot shot placement, I don't think I would have had any trouble. I mean, I can get into the, the next animal that I hunted, if you want to kind of keep with that line. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I shot that bull and I think everybody was expecting me to be jumping up and down, you know, but you know, they had to shoot it with a gun. Like they were, they were expecting me to be jumping up and down. Yeah. They were really excited, you know? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, you guys had to shoot it with a gun, man. (laughs) You know? So I, it wasn't that I, I, I was really happy with what I did. Right. But I wasn't happy with the outcome. So I think basically I asked them about shooting a, uh, another buff and they knew kind of like that I wasn't thrilled with him having gone nine kilometers. So they made me a really good deal between the outfitter and the professional hunter and allowed me to shoot an old cow. I said, just let me shoot the oldest cow, be the toughest uh, one to shoot. So we did that basically, and I'll cut out a lot of the details because there is a pretty cool story to it, but um, got in the blind and it was pretty steeply quartering away, which they don't recommend with the buff anyway, but I was shooting my heavier bow because I'd had a chance to make sure that I could shoot that fine. And I shot it further back, quartering away, buried to the fletch. So took out the entire offside lung, kind of tangentially, not tangentially, but obliquely, uh, might have caught a teeny bit of the front side lung um, right where he wanted me to shoot. I would have probably shot just a teeny bit further forward, but it was where he wanted to do. And the, the cow laid down at about, I don't know, 60 yards maybe with the herd around it. But once again, it's getting late. So we get out there and we make a whole bunch of noise and scatter the herd. Um, and we sneak up on her, um, but she's still alive. So this ranch basically has a policy. They're, they're not going to let a wounded buff that you have in eyesight leave. They're not going to give it a chance to hurt somebody or run off and be lost. So the, basically what that means is it either dies before daylight or they're going to shoot it. So the guide, knowing exactly what had happened with the other with the bull knew that I wanted to shoot it with a bow and we knew darn well that this thing is going to be dead in an hour at the latest. Um, so he said, sneak up there and put an arrow in it. And she's basically laying broadside, but there's brush in the way. I can't safely get any closer than about 30 yards. And the only other arrow I have with me has a cutthroat. She's broadside. So I have my heavier bow though. And I put it 
right where I was aiming. And I'm not bragging. I just, whatever, luck or whatever, plunked it right in there into the, like right along the crease, about a third to halfway up. And right where I wanted to broadside crack, you can hear it break the ribs and it buries about halfway in. Um, and maybe just a little bit more. And she jumps up and looks around and sees us. And she decides, hmm, I might want to kill them. So <laughs> so she starts charging us. But she gets about, only makes it about 10 yards. She runs into a big thorny bush. And then she remembers, oh, yeah, that's right, I'm dying. So she just stops and then lays down and starts rolling a row around, snapping my arrow off and lets out a bellow like a death bellow and you think, oh, she's dead. Cool. Except she has enough energy to make another uh, call to the herd and uh, she calls them and here they come. The whole herd head down like they do. And when she charged us, I guess I should say, and at no point was I scared. Uh, I don't know. You're just focused on the hunt. But when the when she charged... It's not like we could make it back to the blind if we wanted to. He's got a gun. So we just started backing away as she was coming. And I'm sure he was going to shoot if she kept on coming. Um, but she stopped and laid down and died. But um, when the herd came, that was kind of a little bit of a different story. So we kind of uh, turned to jog slash run back to the blind, even though we couldn't do it. And look, keeping a look over our shoulder at the herd. And they basically kind of stopped by the cow. Um, but you know, there was a couple things there. We were kind of running towards the hideout of self-preservation and he really didn't want to shoot the herd bull, which is, you know, a valuable asset for the ranch. So the, the herd's there and we're like, well, we can't get to the cow and we're pretty sure she's dead. So we have to call in other workers on the ranch to bring a Land Rover and a tractor to disperse the herd. And by the time they get there, it's almost completely dark and disperse the herd, but they don't go far, no further than 100 yards at any point in time. And, you know, they're getting the cow, and they're going to have to get her on the tractor, but they want pictures. I'm like, guys, I don't need a picture. It's okay. I don't really want anybody getting hurt. They're like, no, this is our job. I'm like, mm, okay. And so the herd keeps, keeps on kind of trying to press in, come back. We had to get into the Land Rover a couple times as the herd came in. Um, eventually, we got our pictures, and we got out of there. And that was kind of the end of the buffalo hunt portion. So anyway, so that was pretty, it was pretty cool. I, uh, Tom, uh, I mean, Tom, Steve, you know, you probably have seen on pictures. I don't do a whole lot of smiling on my pictures. Um, <laughs> there's a, I get comments about that a lot, but I did have a little bit of a grin for the, for the cow. And I don't know if that was nervous energy or what. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a it was it was a very good hunt. It was a very much a learning experience, and it kind of has me geared up for wanting to do a spot and stalk hunt, perhaps in Mozambique in the future. But I gotta save up my dinero if I ever want to do that. So that was it. There's lots, like I said, lots of good information. I was pretty pleased with my arrow and broadhead performance. Just. I know a lot more now about the actual shot placement that's important, and I know about the performance that I'm going to get out of my equipment as well. So, now you um, you've also taken um, Asiatic. Mm -hmm. um, 
I would I would ask you, you know, which did you enjoy more? If that's a if that's a good way to ask, and you know, is it? Um, that's a that's fine. What are the major differences? I guess. Um, other than location, I would say they're very different animals. Um, there, it seemed like for me. Now, bear in mind when I hunted in Australia, it was a big three hundred fifty thousand acre Aboriginal allotment. So there were buffalo. There were water buffalo scattered all over. Had tons of stalks um, with suboptimal conditions. Um, I just don't think it's nearly as dangerous. They're a lot more docile. Uh, that doesn't mean if you do a fast moment, uh, movement, you can't get charged because I know people that have. Um, but they're also really inquisitive. So <laughs> the terrain's so different. If you do, don't have lateral motion, a lot of times they see a vertical line and they think you may be a gum tree. So you can use that to your advantage on closing the distance. You can get behind a tree and their eyesight's not great, but if they know you're there, they see motion, they get curious, especially a big bull, um, you know, thinking something's in his territory that doesn't know what's going on. So you can take your hat and jiggle it. And a lot of times they'll come really close um, to check it out. And you can either shoot it a frontal shot or wait till they turn broadside so they're just very different. I would say the hunt in Australia for water buffalo, just being perfectly honest, was probably a more enjoyable hunt because I was out for 10 days and I was spotting stalk. I have lots of opportunities, seeing lots of country. Um, whereas the buffalo hunt, well, and just frankly, it was hunting out of a blind that somebody else set up and everything, which is kind of the reason why I'd really like to go on a spot and stalk Cape buffalo hunt, although I do feel that the level of danger is higher and I think that overall, as far as difficulty in killing, I would say a Cape Buffalo, especially an old hard-bossed bull, it's, it's more difficult on that than a water buffalo. Um, did I answer your question? You, you did. Nick, have you, have you got anything you want to throw out? Because I feel like I'm asking all the questions. No, no, actually, I'm just enjoying hearing the stories. Um, I can't imagine, I mean... <clears throat> spot spot and stalk on a cape buffalo is just something I've read about, and every every single time I read about it, it's just absolutely hair raising. So I cannot imagine, you know, being in front of one with a bow and arrow, or actually any kind of animal that big, with with a bow wow. and arrow. It just you must have just been. I mean, you're. I mean, were you? Your testosterone had to be just spiked. I mean, adrenaline. <laughs> I, I, you know, um, I don't know what to say about that. Uh, my wife would tell you I'm stupid. I don't get scared very easily. <laughs> um, like I, I, you know what, Pat? I can tell you if you ask the three wives of the three people on this podcast, you'd probably get that from all three of them. So, <laughs> well, I'm used to like so. Before I met my wife, I was never around horses, and I would be constantly putting myself in bad or dangerous situations and not think anything of it and when you're hunting it's you i i don't know i'm focused on the hunting i'm focused on getting my shot i'm not focused on the danger of it although maybe when i'm spotting stalk cape buffalo maybe that'll be a completely different thing but so far I can really say that I've never hunted anything that I've been scared of um i just cuz i'm so worried about the hunt now i haven't hunted anything like big cats or anything i've always felt like i've always felt like i'm the predator and they're the prey um 
so, but that doesn't mean it's not dangerous. The guy, the professional hunter was saying, I got news for you. What you're doing is dangerous. I feel like, yeah, I almost got charged by that cow when we were going after a wounded bull. And that was certainly the most dangerous thing, going after a wounded animal. Things could go south. But you're so focused on the task at hand. I think that there's a lot of people that would be that way, that you're just so focused that you're not worried about the external things. Um, I don't know. That's like, I mean, you guys have, like, I know, Steve, you hunted pigs a ton. Like, I mean, when you're like in the middle of a group of hogs where the boars are fighting and they're just squealing and throwing each other around, yeah, you get that hair on the back of your neck sticking up, but you're not, I don't know, you're not so much thinking of like scared as you're excited and you're just waiting for a shot to opportunity. You're kind of focused on that. You don't really have time to be thinking, Oh, this might be a bad idea. So, and I'll be perfectly, I I haven't, but I will, I will be perfectly honest with you, Pat. I, I have never bought into the hype of how dangerous pigs are. No, um, it, it's just not something I even can I even consider it. If a pig charges me, I'm I'm ninety nine percent confident that I could keep my head about me and take my bow and just push him aside as he went by, and everything would be fine. I, I you, I've just never thought about it you, at all. You might now, Kate Buffalo, I believe, would be a little bit different. <laughs> well, I mean, with a with a pig, you might get a slash, um, but like i'm sure it things could go bad but like i said i just you've got somebody there with a gun but you don't even i don't know when you're in that moment you're not even thinking about that guy with a gun you're thinking about that shot angle you know uh i don't know i don't know how to explain you were just focused i mean you just yeah that's all it is you're in going into that zone I mean, it's I, not, it's not brave. It's not bravery. It's focus. That's, that's all there is to it. I mean, like you wouldn't see me trying to sneak up on a herd of Cape Buffalo with no weapon in my hand and no gun, knowing that's what I was going into. That would be foolhardy. I'm not doing that. Yeah, and, and <laughs> but even, uh, even, even when you got your, you know, you were going after that injured one. I mean, at that point you're probably thinking I got to finish this job and that's it. I, I, you know. I will be perfect. I will be perfectly honest. While we were doing that, though, I was looking around me for trees. I mean, I was <laughs> to climb. I mean, to climb. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, to to climb or get behind because they've got guns. I've got my bow, and it, for like probably half of the approach on that animal, I was there with my bow with an arrow on the like an arrow knocked in case we came up on it. And after about halfway, I'm like, I am not stopping a wounded animal with this uh and if it's laying down i have plenty of time to get my arrow out of my quiver so i stopped carrying it with like with an arrow at the ready because there's there's nothing you're doing with a with a a charging bull with your arrow that's just not especially especially at night too i mean i I, the only time like steve said i've never really felt like i was in danger around hogs the only time i ever felt a little bit freaked out was the time I went to wild things and I had wounded one and, um, it was, it was running around and and I got it right at dark. So, I mean it, Uh you know, right before dark. So it got dark right after that. And and it kind of turned around and woofed and then it was popping its jaw and running all over the woods and I couldn't see it. (laughs) So, you know, it, it did that and it, it was making the most God awful sounds I've ever heard in the woods and there's no light 
you know, safe from moonlight. And I'm just standing there with my bow and I'm like, should I get back up in my tree stand? Like, what, what am I, what, <laughs> what am I, where is this thing? You know, um, any, any wounded animal though, if you're, you're down there with, yeah, exactly. You're, you know, a bow and arrow is meant to, I mean, it's a, it's a weapon used, you know, to be silent and, and concealed and, and operates that way, not on something charging you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the, the, the flip side of that too, though, uh, Pat, I think, you know, for, for a lot of us, it's a, it can be a, a false sense of security as well, because, you know, I've seen how efficient a sharp broadhead can be. Um, you know, you, you take a, a white tail, a hog that, that air goes where it's supposed to be. I mean, the thing's down in seconds. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not a cape, but you still get that, you have that sense of confidence in the back of your mind that says, if I hit this thing right, you know, it's it's going down, and it's going down quick. Um, you did mention one thing that I was curious about, and I, I was, as you were talking about climbing trees and so forth, it came back to me. Um, you were talking about being able to get back to the blind, to the hide, but I mean, really, is does that offer any protection whatsoever? Uh, this was an elevated blind that was pretty well made. Oh, okay. So, I, I mean, like a, a ground blind, not so much. Although where I hunted in near Kimberly for the Plains game, um, there were there were they had some that were made of block because they had rhinos on the property. So that right. that probably would have been okay. Um, but most, for the most part, no, only the fact that it was an elevated blind, that would have been the only thing that was helpful. Um, so I I was picturing, I was picturing a hut and I kept on thinking, what's he going to do? What's that going to (laughs) do? But no, I think an elevated, an elevated blinds, you know, probably preferable for that because in addition to whatever level of protection and helping with the wind a little bit, I think, uh, you know, gives you a much better opportunity for a shot when they're kind of jumbled up in the herd to get to the vitals. So like when I shot my bull, there was a cow that was uh, kind of kneeling down on the ground in front of him. So, you know, if I was at ground level, I might ha- not had nearly as clear of a shot than I, as I did. So I think that, you know, it definitely adds some advantages in that regard. So many. But, um, oh, oh, I just wanted one more thing. So when you were talking about, I'm trying to envision this in my head. So when you're talking about the herd, how big is this herd? Oh, this like, wasn't a tremendous herd. I want to. I, I didn't count them. Um, between twenty and thirty. Okay. Maybe. Um, I know that I've heard the numbers for the herds in Mozambique can be in the hundreds. And believe me, I've had the money and the time off. I'd just love to go tomorrow um to do it and i'm actually probably going to start saving immediately for a hunt like that because i'm 51 now and sure shooting the heavy bows is easy for me now um, but that's not always going to be the case so i got to try to do things you know while i'm still relatively young and able um and like i said i I don't want to get into this to a a poundage issue. I know where I feel comfortable and I know what I've seen. And I know from talking to other friends of mine that had hunted them and the performance they've had, um, I know where I feel comfortable shooting them. And I feel very, very confident that if I took my longbow 
um, and similar area setup that I, I'd get the job done. I'd have a slightly different uh, spot that I aimed at, whereas I wouldn't feel comfortable with a much uh, lower energy setup. And so that's kind of where I'm at in my life right now. I've got lots of things I want to do, lots of hunting I want to do. I frequently get the opportunity to kill lots of good-sized pigs at my own place, um, occasionally a decent deer and some turkey, but I kind of want to focus on a uh, spot and stalk Cape Buffalo hunt in the future, maybe uh, a bison hunt, hunt up in Canada, just killing the things that I may not physically be able to do at some point in the future. So, I didn't realize you were an old man, Pat. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know about old man, but uh, I certainly don't heal as quickly as I did 20 years ago, that's for sure. Yeah, I hear you. And I'll be honest, the I've seen some of the I've seen some of the whitetails that you've taken, um, and I I, I I just glanced over. We've been we've been rolling on here pretty good. We're probably not going to get to those nights, so that's going to give us a good excuse to get you back on here. But but I do want to hear some about the the plains game. Um, so okay, you know, let's shift to that and talk about that for a few minutes. We'll try not to keep you maybe another fifteen twenty minutes. But okay. um, you know how how did you uh, how did you transition from the uh, from the buffalo into the, the plains game and and you know what was that set up like and what what animals did you have the opportunity at okay well i'll say like incredibly briefly my wife got tired of sitting around the ranch because it wasn't safe to be off of it um because there were buffalo roaming around so they allowed her to hunt while we were at that ranch and she shot a beautiful sable and a beautiful kudu so i could already see my checking account like just <laughs> draining you know but uh so our our hunt there ended and we flew to, oh, well, they drove us back to Johannesburg and we took a quick flight to Kimberley, which has, I think, the largest diamond mine in South Africa, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that's their claim to fame. And we drove just like a half an hour to the ranch. It was Sandveld Safaris. And uh, by the way, the first place we hunted was Muscogee uh, Safaris and... Uh, Buddha Worcester was the professional hunter, super good guy. Um, and the next p- place, it was the it was a owner. The the same person was the owner and the professional hunter, and his name was Francois Duet. And these were all arranged by Lamy, the from Dare to Bow Hunt. And we got there, and this place was, I think, seventy five hundred acres with lots of blinds, um, decent distance for. Uh, for a traditional hunter, but perhaps a little better for somebody that was a compound or a crossbow hunter. Not so much as the blind setup or how close the animals came in, because they all knew the blinds were there and they'd been hunted before. But saw tons and tons of animals. I'll have to send you some of the pics, Steve. But um, tons and tons of animals from giraffes, monkeys, zebras, sesame, gemsbok, uh, Basically, just about everything you could see was there. Um, and the very first day, I shot um, a pretty nice water buck. I shot the bow I was using was a tall tine stick flinger. And that was only shoot. That was a, it was a 56 or 29, so I was probably drawn at circa 60 pounds. Um, and I was just running Black, e- uh, Black Eagle Instinct arrows. Oh, that does get into a topic of con- uh, conversation. Um, I was using Black Eagle Instinct arrows with the standard insert-outserts that they use 
on them and VPA three blade broadheads. And the very first day, um, I, had, I was hunting by a water hole, and I had Warthog come in, but didn't shoot him. I had a nice herd of Lechway, but they were on the far side of the water hole. And then a group of water buck come in, but it probably took hmm, at least an hour for one of them to hang around there and give me a shot. And it was close. I had to like move myself in the blind on my knees and change my angle. But I got a nice quartering away shot from close. And just angled up through to the offside shoulder. And, you know, it was a bit one of the big uh, one and a quarter inch vented VPA heads. So it was a bloodbath. Still made it about 100 yards. Um, and uh, later, later on the trip, I shot an Impala, which is a pretty nice Impala. And I did have uh, a mishap. Uh, I wouldn't say a mishap. Um, I thought I hit right where I wanted to but so my wife had shot a really nice Gemsbach and the hunt was organized so we had kind of a package where you could shoot one animal out of a group for three different groups and one of the animals on a group that I still had left was a Gemsbach and I also had wildebeest that were also on the list but I was waiting on them and they were coming in and I was getting ready, uh, truthfully, I was getting ready to draw down on a wildebeest who was actually in the water hole crossing towards me and was in range, but he was kind of turned a little bit quarter to me. I was just waiting for him to change his angle when this Gemsbuck steps off from my right out of cover into the water hole and he takes a sip and he's just turned slightly quartering away from me and... Uh, we had had a conversation the previous night about the vitals and how big the lungs are in animals and stuff. And they'd already told me that the, the lungs on Gemsbuck are some of the smallest lungs of the antelope species they have there. And, you know, that you need to aim forward. So, but he was close and I had a string tracker attached and I thought this is just money. It happened so fast. And I aimed right on the shoulder, like, like right on the back part of the meat of his shoulder. And he's 10 yards away. You think this thing can't possibly move. And didn't he turn right at the shot and I hit the knuckle of the shoulder oh, no. and and my my arrow snapped my broadhead hit and it snapped right behind those stupid outserts now I love my black eagle instinct shafts I'm just going to say that right out there deep in deep impact same thing but those are a horrible design um, and I and the same thing with that water buck on autopsy, I'd angled through, I'd hit the offside shoulder, and same thing, it hit and it broke right behind, the, but it already done all its damage, broke right behind that outsert. Now, I've killed a lot of pigs and deer with those same arrows, um, but I've never hit anything terribly hard. I mean, I've gone right through, through soft tissues, so I've never had that problem. So the first thing I did when I came back was I got another dozen of those arrows, not terribly expensive, and I bought um, the footed outserts from Ethics Archery, and I got them tuned up, and they're ready to go for elk hunting. And I, they're, they're super going to be super strong. And you've, you've mentioned that a couple of times. Bruce um, Ritter-Clark reached out to me. I was actually on vacation. I need to follow back up with him because I did the video on how I build uh, the arrows that I that I build with the aluminum uh, footing, and he wants me to try some of those, and I, I need to circle back up with him. But um, I I have 
I have found that over the, the last couple of years since I really started tinkering with those things, uh, you get the right setup with that with that footing, um, and I'm sure the stainless steel would be even uh, more durable. But you know, my footings are two and a half inches long, which pushes that that point of leverage back a good bit on that shaft. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can shoot them into into basically immovable objects, and usually it's the third or fourth shot they'll finally break. Uh, but it's amazing. People don't realize how much just putting a footing on the front of that that carbon arrow uh just toughens them up i mean it's just it's unbelievable the the, the, the abuse they can take well and i use when i went to, to water buffalo hunting i just had a small piece of aluminum shaft um on the front as a footing just so we go back far enough to reach the hit insert which was what i was using at the time and that that's was what i do and that's and that's perfectly strong it does a good job but you can't really tinker with the weight quite as well as you can with the ethics setup but uh, people, like, if I would, like, harp on any one thing, <laughs> like, get that front of your arrow strong. I don't care if you care about forward of center or not, but get that thing strong. And anytime you ha- can have a torque that's going to put a focus on that shaft, whether it's a hit insert without a footing where the, the stem of the broadhead or field tip starts to bend and starts to split the shaft in front of the hit insert or if you have those outserts insert outserts that if there's any flex it just like pushes right against that shaft at that point and it's going to break it's not a ma- it's it's going to happen when you hit something hard like and you can have lots of great success shooting deer pigs whatever through soft stuff you hit something hard you're not going to have a pleasant outcome well and I don't I'll be honest uh, I've I've hit a few deer in the in the knuckle um nick will tell you about one if you get him time to talk about it just a little bit (laughs) but um which is the reason i stopped shooting three blade heads but um the the i shoot the so last year i started shooting the ethics um inserts Mm -hmm. and i found that uh i think it's 2216 is what i use most they um you can actually take a twenty two sixteen or twenty two nineteen. I don't remember which one it is. It's the it's the size that fits my uh, three fifty spine vintage shafts perfectly, and you can actually press the Ethics two hundred grain stainless steel insert down into that aluminum footing, and then it just slides right on the end of your your arrow. So it's it's Perfect. very close to what you're using. It's just not one piece, and it's not it's not stainless. So like oh. I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna try it when I get a chance to circle up with Bruce, but, um, aluminum is not underrated though. It's like, you don't need a, I don't think you need a ton and stainless steel probably is stronger, but I think it's more important for getting the weight for tuning that you want. But I think I was using, I want to say 2013s. I think it's what it was on my gold tips. And I think it was 2013s. And, even with the new with the ethics setup, I'm using the stainless steel insert, but I'm only using their aluminum outsert. It's plenty strong. I'm I'm not concerned at all. Um, yeah, but it would be nice to have a one piece setup instead of having to you know do everything that I have to do to make it work. Where oh, I'm sure, cutting sure. aluminum shafts and then chafe you know um, reaming out the end so that it'll fit on the on the uh ethics insert and gluing everything up and all that if it's you know one piece would definitely be a lot easier i agree with you i agree with you um 
Well, I probably sorry to, sorry to go off target, there. dude. I don't know. I start getting talk about hunting. I don't even keep track of the time, <laughs> to be honest. So uh, I I could talk about whatever you want if you. But if you like want to, like if you guys got to go, that's fine. But whatever you want. Well, we. Um yeah, we, we try to keep it around an hour and 15, hour and 30 minutes. People tend to, to lose focus after that. And like I said, we'll leave them wanting more. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to talk to you about some other stuff. But before you go, and I know it, you know, we, you mentioned it was with a crossbow, but I, I don't care. What, so what did your what did your wife end up walking away with? Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> so like, what did she go walking away with and how much lighter was my checking account? Um, so, it's up to you if you want to no, go no, with that's fine. checkbook. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. You know, she shot him at, um, you know, most of her shots were at 20 to 30 yards. So it's not inconceivable, like, well within our range for being accurate. But these animals... In Africa, around, I mean, maybe if you get them away from the water holes, it'd be different. But they make uh, a Texas deer around a feeder look like they're stuck in molasses, how fast they can move. And they don't – some of them will jump, duck down, but a lot of them are just turning quickly to get away, much more so than ducking. So right. that's what makes – I think like especially on things like an impala – or uh, springbok, you really got to restrict, warthog, you really got to restrict your range. Um, but anyway, so while I was out there, the first thing she shot, like it was, I don't know, the second or third day I was there, she shot a really beautiful kudu. I mean, what a beautiful animal they are. So they have a book over there. They've got a couple different ways of determining if something's a trophy. There's a, a like Safari Club International and the Roland Ward measurements. And they're different measurements, but it usually correspond to animals roughly the same size. And that met the Roland Ward criteria. I think it was a, just a touch over 52 inches. Beautiful, beautiful animal. And then, day before we left, she had to do it. And she shot this, she said, because she got mad at it because it wouldn't leave. She shot a friggin' sable. Oh, yeah. And uh, it, beautiful yeah. animals, though. Oh, it's a beautiful animal. But between the shot, and the taxidermy. Oh, I want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so so retirement's put off. For yes. Years. Yes. Well, or my future hunt for spot and stalk uh, Cape Buffalo is put off. So that's what she shot there. We go down there to Kimberly. And like I said, the first day I shot a water buck, and I'm pretty proud of it. It's a good water buck, and it just barely meets the Roland Ward criteria um, because it's got a nice uh, forward bend to the horn. And uh, so I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Um, and I can't remember the, te- the temporality of it. I think my wife shot a Gemsbach, beautiful Gemsbach, uh, female. And the female don't tend to wear their horns down. They don't have quite as much mass, but they don't tend to wear their horns down from fighting. So a lot of times they're a little bit longer. Um, so it was a beautiful gemsbuck she shot. And she knew I'd already shot a waterbuck, but she shot. She had this beautiful one come in, and she shot it, and it makes mine look like a baby. I'm <laughs> like, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. Big old male. And the, the professional hunter said that it would have been even six inches longer uh, you know, a, a year ago before it got uh, just worn down from the fighting. So he was like wow. a boss dude. So she shot four just absolutely amazing representatives of their species between the sable, the kudu, the gemsbuck, and the waterbuck. Um, and then she finished out the hunt shooting 
eh, a marginal uh, wildebeest and a marginal warthog. In fairness, unless you have some experience with the wildebeest, uh, and you, you know, it can be hard to tell whether they're an older one of them. And if they all come in and they're all the same size, it can be a little tough to tell. So it was a little young, but she was very happy. So I was very happy. So that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Nick, I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm just, uh, just learned that I'm probably never, never taking just turkey hunting because she'll, she'll be the one that gets the big 20 pound gobbler and I'll still be chasing Mm -hmm. nothing for, for, (laughs) and I'll never hear the end of it. But well, you know, I all I saw was pictures of that water buck for for a couple of days, and the day before I left, I said I'd like to go to see the skin and shed to see the stuff that's there, you know, where they put them on the in the salt. And he said, "No, you don't want to go there." I was like, "No, I want to go." <laughs> He's like, oh, "You don't want to see her water buck compared." He's like, "I do. I'm happy with mine, no matter what." And I got there, I was like, mm, "Maybe I shouldn't have gone here." <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's, Truth hurts. It's been a, it's been a pleasure having you on, Pat. I just I've loved to hear your stories and experiences, and and I'm also pretty sure that you and Tom could probably go talk about arrow setup for at least eight hours and not ever get tired. <laughs> probably true. Probably true. But I tell you, I I do tell you this, Pat. I there was there there was a lot I actually would like to get to, um, and I'm kind of glad that you know this went the way it did because now we can have you back on, uh, and and next time I will actually try to get either Nick and Tom, or maybe you know we'll let Tom sit in in Nick's place uh, so that he gets a chance to chat with you a little bit because I I can guarantee he's going to listen to this one. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. We'll we'll give you a few months, and I'll send a recorder back, and we'll do this again if you if you're up for it. Oh, absolutely. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much um, for everybody listening. Uh, if plans go uh, as I am intending right now, uh, this episode will drop on the same day that we. Uh, kick off our bow giveaway so if you have not already heard we're giving away a custom longbow or recurve of uh, your choosing uh, Kalamazoo Bow Works uh, David Darling who was on the show just a, a few weeks back uh, we talked to him after that episode he wanted to give away a bow so we're working with him to do that so it will be an Osage riser with uh, you in the limbs other than that, you can pretty much choose whatever you want, the length of the bow, the style of the bow, whether it's long bow or recurve, uh, and draw length, etc. So uh, be sure to get entered for that. Details are on the website. If it doesn't happen by the time you hear this, it will definitely be live before uh, next week. Um, Traditional Outdoors is also going to be throwing in a one-year membership to Compton Traditional Bow Hunters to that winter. And if you're already a member, then you can just use it as a renewal. And if you're lucky enough to be a life member, then we just ask you to uh, select an individual and pay it forward. And we'll make sure that they get that membership instead. So with all that said, thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again next week. Take care, everyone. Bye.